Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new Retina Radio miniseries, Matching Patients to Therapy in Wet AMD. My name is John Kitchens, and I'm joined today by two panelists. The first is Dr. Adrian Scott, who is chief at the Wilmer Eye Institute Bel Air and is an associate professor of ophthalmology at the Wilmer Eye Institute in Baltimore. Dr. Scott, welcome to the show. John, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And our other guest needs no introduction, but we will introduce him. It's Dr. Carl Regillo, who is the chief of the retina service at Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia and is a professor of ophthalmology at Thomas Jefferson University, also in Philadelphia. Carl, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me on the program. This is going to be a really interesting series where we will profile various kind of real world patient cases. And we're gonna explore which therapy options these patients uh, really are best suited for. We'll first hear about the details of each case from Dr. Scott and Dr. Regillo. And then after the break, we'll reveal which therapy our panelists would select. So let's kick things off with Adrian. Dr. Scott, give us your case, share with us what you have and what you have in mind for this patient. Sure, thanks, John. So the case I have to share is a case of an 83-year-old man who comes in, um, referred from the anterior segment service soon after his uh, multifocal IOL placement for new-onset CNV. This was actually back in 2014 when he came to my clinic for the first time. And he was noted to have neovascular AMD new-onset in 2014 in one eye. And in his other eye, he has intermediate AMD with um, extensive large soft drusen. Uh, at that point, we initiated, initiated a flibercep therapy, and he um, lives probably in a suburb outside of Baltimore, probably about maybe 30 miles away, drives himself in each visit, and we are treating him with a flibercep regularly, um, starting with a series of three, you know, initiation, initiation we call loading doses. And as I try to extend gradually after monthly treatment, his neovascular AMD remains active with a large subfovial PED and moderate amount of subretinal fluid that appears to be stable when I treat him about every four to six weeks. But as I try to utilize the treat and extend protocol, adding on six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, and his subretinal fluid increases each time I try to extend the treatment interval. All right. So, so Carl, here we have a case that Adrian has presented, and, and these cases are all too common. The, the patient that you just can't really extend out, an 83-year-old gentleman who is being treated with a flibercept, and, and you just can't seem to get them out to that optimal interval. They drive themselves, so they're very self-sufficient. It's a big, big burden on this patient. Carl, what are your thoughts about a patient like this? No, you're absolutely right. Um, burden is a big factor here. Um, this, this type of patient needing to come in this frequently every four or five or six weeks for optimal exudative control probably represents at least a third of our patients using the current therapeutics, the current anti-VEGFs we've been using now for going on 15 years. Um, although we can extend many of our patients eight, 10, 12 weeks, and therefore uh, get good results with less burden, um, this, is a, this is a frustrating group and it's hard for patients. We all know our patients often uh, re rely on caregivers to help them come to the office. This patient I think is fortunate that at least the fellow I, I believe sees well and probably can drive themselves. And a lot of my patients will drive themselves to and from the office. 
But if that fellow eye or both eyes are just simply not seen well, you've got even bigger challenges at hand. Um, and I think we're all speaking the same language. We need therapeutics that last longer. There's no doubt about it, not only to decrease the treatment burden, but to make the treatment uh, more forgiving in that, you know, we, the more recurrences we have or the more fluid we allow, uh, the worse the vision outcome ultimately is going to be. The patient will lose ground eventually. So having something that's truly much more durable than what we've been using, I think also holds the promise for not only more convenience, if you will, but uh, I mentioned being more forgivable, if you will, for um, getting better long-term vision outcomes, less recurrences, less disease activity over time in a cumulative fashion. You know, you're so right, that forgiving nature of a, of a therapeutic, I think too many times our patients just fatigue and we sometimes fatigue. And so we let them slip. We say, well, you know what, ideally you should be four to six weeks, but eight to 10 is good enough. And that's where we get that downward decline of vision that we just don't realize because it's death by inches. Every visit, they lose a little bit of ground. And before you know it, things like the seven up study, where we see patients who just return back to baseline. So Carl, you also have a, a great case. And just to remind our listeners, we will come back and hear the, the therapy of choice that Dr. Scott used for her patient. But I'd like to move on to Dr. Regillo's case. Uh, Carl, tell us a little bit about your patient. Well, in many ways, it's very similar. It doesn't go back quite as far in terms of my management. Um, this patient came to me more like about eight months ago. It's a 77-year-old female who uh, noticed some distortion in her left eye for about three weeks in duration, brought that up to her primary eye care provider. Um, there was suspicion for wet AMD in the left eye, the symptomatic eye. And uh, that patient in turn was referred probably within about a week. Um, she was seeing me. Um, when she presented to me, she came with um, uh, signs of AMD, drusen in both eyes. And um, her visual acuity was decreased in the affected symptomatic left eye to 2060. Her right eye had dry MD with good vision, 2025. She was not symptomatic there. OCT showed um, central subretinal fluid and a lesion consistent with um, uh, type 1 coronary vascularization. Little bit of intraretinal edema too, not a lot, mostly subretinal fluid. Um, and a confirmatory fluorescein angiogram was performed, not something I often will typically do, or, uh, but nonetheless, the patient did get it at this exam, uh, at the, uh, the, the initial exam, and it did show um, uh, central CNV with leakage as expected. So we started treatment uh, the same day. I also utilized uh, aflibercept as the anti-VEGF uh, that she started with. She received two monthly injections, uh, two injections over a four-week time frame each. Uh, great initial response, completely dried up the macula. Four weeks after just the second injection, the macula looked perfect. Visual acuity, uh, I should say, as good as it's going to be, no signs of exudation. And the visual acuity had improved to 2030. She was very happy. And um, it came time to deciding, you know, do we start extending? And, and that's what I did by two-week intervals. And uh, the patient made it out six weeks with a flibrocept, looked great. Again, holding 2030 vision. Uh, but of course, I jumped to eight weeks as we ordinarily do again by two week um, intervals uh, for the extension. We're now in the, getting into the maintenance phase and trying to figure out this patient's ideal interval. 
and we had a significant amount of central recurrent subretinal fluid. Again, mostly subretinal fluid. And we always scratch our heads. We hear about how subretinal fluid might be uh, better tolerated than intraretinal fluid. And that indeed is what the literature suggests. Um, but nonetheless, the visual acuity dropped and it was probably about at least 150, if not 200 microns of subretinal fluid. And uh, visual was 2050, eight weeks after uh, the last dose. And so recurrent signs of exudation, decreasing vision and symptomatic, I of course, um, and made the decision to uh, go back to six week treatment intervals. And I re-challenged her one other time um, after several cycles of six week intervals, I tried to go back to eight and of course, exact same thing happened very predictably, uh, had fluid decreased vision. And so she kind of failed twice to extend to eight weeks and I've kept her on every six weeks since. Now she hasn't been much more than again, eight months into this, but she sort of declared herself as a frequent flyer, if you will. Um, getting treatments um, every six weeks to maintain a good-looking macula anatomically and her best vision at 2030. So there we have it, and in many ways, very similar to Adrian's case. That's a great case, Carl. A fantastic case. Adrian, I've got a question for you. Carl mentions the frequent flyers. In a patient like this, we've seen her now fail twice going out to eight. Is she going to forever be a frequent flyer? You know, that's a really interesting question. I do find that sometimes if you almost start over again with some patients, walk back the interval and just go very slowly increasing your extension treatment interval, um, they can sometimes increase their interval. But you start to get a sense in some patients how active their neovascular AMD is and how much fluid they tend to um, tend to reaccumulate. And I think we're starting to get that sense earlier and earlier in some patients. And so, you know, I think we have lots of these patients that seem to be tolerant of six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. But when we try to go past eight weeks, they just, you know, reaccumulate fluid. And it's almost like you're starting back over again. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And what's interesting is, is we may have some new treatment options on the horizon. So let's take a little break here. And when we come back from the break, we're going to hear how Dr. Scott and Dr. Regillo manage their patients. Welcome back to the new Retina Radio miniseries, Matching Patients to Therapy in Wet AMD. I'm John Kitchens here with Dr. Carl Regillo and Dr. Adrian Scott. So Adrian, before the break, we heard about a real world patient case that included an 83 year old gentleman with new onset wet AMD in, uh, in one eye um, that received a flibercept injections. But when you tried to extend that patient out beyond four to six weeks, he got new subretinal fluid was symptomatic, fellow eye was dry. Patient was very um, capable of supporting himself, drove himself to his own uh, appointments and whatnot. Talk to us a little bit now in today's day and age about where you go with a patient like this. Sure. Thanks for the question, John. So, you know, the interesting part about this patient is I started treating him in 2014. So, you know, approximately, you know, seven years or so ago, and his family is getting increasingly worried about him thriving back and forth um, from his injection appointments um, so frequently. And although the other eye is holding and stable, um, there's increasing concern about him driving after injection. So I definitely want to find something that would extend his um, treatment interval longer while maintaining while maintaining his vision. So in this case, this is this is somebody who I think would be a great candidate for a first map injection. Um, you know, it's 
It's a place where I think many of us are excited about the potential use and individuals who, um, you know, may not be able to be completely dry on their current treatment interval or when you try to extend the treatment interval, the fluid definitely recurs. So a high treatment burden is definitely a case for somebody would be a good candidate for furisumab. So Carl, furisumab, what can we expect from furisumab that we don't have with our current agents? Well, I think we, we're going to have efficacy that's at least as good. And there are hints that it might even be a better drying agent. At least we, we saw that in the DME phase trials compared to a flibercept, it dried better. And I think there's some translation into wet AMD for some of our patients too. Um, but at the very least, I think the, the big added value here for furisumab in this setting for Adrian's case is um, uh, extended duration of action, better durability, uh, clearly. And with a safety profile, we have to mention with the safety profile that's on par with, very comparable with the drugs we have been using, aflibercept, ranibizumab, and even bevacizumab. You know, technically another choice might be brolicizumab, but I don't think the durability is all that much more. Um, and I think we all have the same concerns around safety, and that's why it doesn't get a lot of use as the next step for this type of patient. There really is no other step for this patient uh, with the same safety profiles that drug Adrian already been using for years now, and that's a flibercept. Um, so we'll, we'll await. I think uh, furisumab is an excellent choice, and I'd have to say perhaps also on the table, uh, the port delivery system uh, as a potential option for this patient too. And the patient's going to need to weigh the pros and cons a trip to the OR and all that, but furisumab is a very logical next step. Uh, and that's for both patients that establish treatment for years, just like this, or even uh, our new patients. And Adrian, how would you dose this patient when you start them on furisumab? Yeah, I would try to, to follow the, the clinical trial data as closely as I could, um, first with several loading doses, but I would definitely try to follow the clinical trial as closely as I could prior to any sort of extension. You know, if I can see them back after the first set of loading doses in about a month, to assess disease activity, which is what I believe was followed in the clinical trial. At that point, I would assess the, the drying impact on the macula and potentially extend from there. Fantastic. Carl, you told us about a patient who is a 77-year-old, just eight months ago, diagnosed with wet AMD in the left eye. Uh, 2060 vision initially, great improvement uh, back to 2030, very happy. But as soon as you went out to eight weeks, this patient started to get new subretinal fluid with symptomatic vision dropped to 2050. What did you, what would you choose for your patient as the next step? Uh, like Adrian's, we're in a similar situation. Um, the only real difference I think here is that my patient's a more recent onset, but I think the patient has pretty much declared themselves as someone that needs frequent treatment, and it's not likely to change much over time. And I agree that what Adrian mentioned, that sometimes we can get extend them a little later on down the line after a few more years of treatment sometimes, but the change is usually not a lot. And this patient is itching for something. My patient, I didn't mention it, uh, was actually coming from quite a distance and really found the trip burdensome and did also rely on family and so forth. So they were highly motivated to want to have real extension of, um, of, of treatment intervals. And so although furisumab is a good choice here too, um, my patient was very interested in the port delivery system. Um, the patient also I have to throw in, gets very anxious about the injections, you know, tolerates them reasonably well, like most of our patients, but 
is super anxious. And what I've found in my experience with port delivery system over the course of the clinical trials is patients don't necessarily mind coming in to the office, uh, but they certainly mind and would prefer not to have to get an injection too. Um, so, uh, you know, I told the patient, look, this is an option. It's been FDA approved. It requires a trip to the OR, and then we can do pretty much everything else in the office, um, unless there's some uh, complication, and we'll go over all that. But uh, nonetheless, the patient was very motivated with the notion or the thought of having a treatment at six-month intervals. Uh, no, we know from the clinical trials we can get it reliably six months of durability here, and yet still come in maybe once or twice in between at the very least, to get the device checked and get, make sure their disease activity is under control. So this patient was really motivated after hearing about the FDA approval for the uh, port delivery system with ranibizumab uh, to go that route. And Adrian, what are your thoughts on Carl's choice of a, of a surgical option, really, with a different set of potential complications for his patient? Yeah, I think it's an absolutely excellent choice. And that's one of the great things about where we are now is we have multiple choices to discuss with patients that, you know, accomplish the goals of, of, of being an efficacious treatment, maintaining and even gaining uh, vision for the patient um, with a relatively low um, incidence of side effects. Um, so we've got great choices. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested also in the patient's take on things. How do they feel about going to the operating room in some cases? I think some patients are actually really excited and eager to try um, the, operating, uh, the operating room, the PDS placement. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a good choice for patients with prior conjunctival surgery, prior glaucoma surgery, perhaps very thin friable conge may not be a good uh, candidate for the PDS system. But I do find too, even just mentioning the idea that patients seem rather excited about it, about the prospect of a surgical, um, of a depot long acting treatment. And Carl, many of our studies are in treatment naive patients. Can we expect PDS to really give us six months in the real world? Yeah, I do think it's realistic, um, and and of course I'm I'm speaking because I know and we all know the results of the latter trial in which the device was refilled more on an as needed basis, and we got a good sense for its durability. In the real world, I think if we take the full spectrum of wet AMD previously treated, of recent onset and known to be responsive, and that's most of our patients. You know, it's a very rare patient that doesn't respond to anti-VEGF. Um, yeah, we, we could get uh, at least a year on average. Um, however, we might be selecting our, our sort of highest need, most frequently uh, treated patients first. So maybe it's not gonna be a median of a year or more at first, but I think we're gonna reliably get six months. You know, it was up north of 95% uh, after each refill or around each refill cycle. And that's from the Archway study. And now we're hearing the uh, portal extension data um, give us that degree of reliability that is 95% or more patients did not require any supplemental injections before the six month refill. So um, I think it's, it's performance has been outstanding. And I think Adrian's right. It's gonna probably be a little more select patient population because there are gonna be patients that aren't interested in going to the OR, are not interested in a device, are not interested in necessarily taking on some additional added risks especially upfront or early on associated with the surgery and the device. That's unique. And Carl, we have two new therapies launched by the same company, which is absolutely uh, unprecedented. Are these two therapies competitive with one another or complementary to one another? Yes, 
<laughs> yeah, they, they are both. Um, yeah, there's absolutely going to be some patients that are really going to struggle to make a decision or even the doctors guiding patients like one versus the other. Um, you know, I guess it's how much more durability do you want? Do you want another month or so? Do you want to get, go from eight to 12 or 12 to 16 um, in some patients? If, if that's all you need or want and you tolerate the injections well, FirstMab may be your, your first choice. Um, if it's new onset wet AMD, you know, um, technically uh, PDS doesn't have that label. Um, that doesn't mean in the future we won't try it in that setting. But uh, the port's gonna be a, a more select patient, there's no doubt about it, willing to take on um, uh, the trip to the OR and so forth. And so, um, and, and that's the patient that's really motivated for um, true sustained delivery, six or more months of, of an effect, a good effect, uh, that is good disease control. Um, so it really is going to de depend a lot on both physician and patient um, uh, risk benefit analyses here. Yeah, I can say from my personal experience with poor delivery, the patients in, in the study that we had in the latter study were, were so, and Archway were so unbelievably happy with the port that they want it in their fellow eye, if they have fellow eye wet AMD. Adrian, last question for you here. We're going to have these two new therapies. We've talked about them in, in recalcitrant patients or patients with a high frequency of, of treatment. Are these therapies also going to be appropriate for, for new patients? How are you going to implement them in your clinical practice? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and a lot of it has to do with really the patient um, comes down to what they what they you know what they want, and as Carl mentioned, kind of the risk they're assuming, wanting to assume up front. Um, you know, some patients may not be candidates for the operating room for whatever reasons, cardiac issues, or they're on you know an anticoagulation that may make give you a little bit of pause to take them to the OR um, for such a device uh, for the PDS. But I think it's going to come down to, to patient desire. And again, I've kind of been even mentioning that the port delivery system is coming uh, to market. I've been, um, you know, even talking with patients and they're excited about it. And, and more so than I would think, you know, being more, you know, risk averse to, to put them through a surgical risk, but the patients are really excited and they want it. Um, and they're excited to see kind of what the, what the efficacy is of the device. So I think that we will get a feel for uh, what the PDS does in our current patients that we've been treating with anti-VEGF, but I don't think it'll be long before in select patients will be using it on treatment naive patients. What great discussion. That's a wrap for this episode of Matching Patients to Therapy and Wet AMD. We have two more episodes coming out, so stick with your podcast feeds. And on behalf of Dr. Adrian Scott and Dr. Carl Regillo, I'm Dr. John Kitchens. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>